Hello and welcome to Duelist Unity Raw, episode 14. I am enjoying the ability to discuss any and all topics that we feel like discussing without so much fear or any fear of how it may be perceived or what people are going to think of us covering certain topics because the ability to have conversations and discuss things openly and honestly and from our given perspectives is the exact thing that allows our society to change and grow and learn. So I'm just very much enjoying being able to do so without so much concern. And I appreciate your openness to us being willing and open about all of these topics. And we appreciate everything that you do, dear listener, to inform these conversations and your participation. And I want to say it's not just your participation on Discord or in Patreon or even in the comments as these live shows are being recorded, but your participation in life. Because whether you realize it or we realize it or not, the fact is everything you do causes a ripple. That ripple goes to other people who cause more ripples. And it is a finite space, regardless how big the planet is. And so we are all affecting one another eventually. So you have been informing me for your entire life. And we are very grateful for that because without all that information, we wouldn't have much to say and this discussion would go nowhere, which is actually kind of the point as Andrew is saying, we don't really want the discussion to go anywhere, but we do like having a lot to explore. So that's why we do these and we're grateful that you're here. So with all that said, I hope you enjoy this live stream that is Dual Security Raw, episode 14. All right, man. What do we got to talk about today? Do you have any <laughs> questions on the queue? Has anybody been asking you weird shit? Um, I actually do have some. Let me pull some of those up. Can find those. I had an interesting conversation on TikTok wherein somebody told me that because I said you are the way, the truth, and the life, that I was being divisive because we would be much more in line with the concept of unity which I thought was really funny because we is straight up divisive. There's more than one of us, to which I said that. They're both kind of divisive. And they got upset with me. I hate how you can never concede, how you never admit that you're wrong. I said, if I'm wrong, I admit it. I, I don't have a problem with that. But they were just really upset about the fact that they couldn't just be right that I couldn't just agree with them that, yes, you're right, I should learn from you. Because they actually said, you may want to consider this in your spiritual progress kind of thing. It's like, all right, you seem to have an investment in me responding to you a certain way, whereas my response was still a bridge. I was agreeing with you. I didn't disagree with you. I just said, we is also divisive because it's dualistic and it's language. And so I, I just wanted to mention to everybody very quickly that uh, I have no problems being wrong, but I don't really have any investment in being right either. I just like to think about things as a whole. And if ever somebody points out, well, that's actually not the case, I'll admit it. I have no problem admitting that. So it's just really interesting because often in these conversations, what happens is that they assume that just because I'm very sure about this one conversation that I don't admit fault in any other aspect of my life, which is really kind of funny. It's just, this is a subject I've thought a lot about. I spent a lot of time in this environment in terms of consciousness and 
the discussion about the ego and letting go and God and existence and all that other fun stuff. So it's not that I won't concede when I'm incorrect. It's just that I've spent a lot of time thinking and I've spent a lot of time talking to other people where I was incorrect. And that's the other thing to remember too, is that it's been a long journey. So I don't want people to ever feel like they can't disagree with me. I think disagreement is important. I think it's very important in terms of helping me grow, helping the community grow, and of course, making sure that I'm not full of shit. So I have to be open to communication when people questioning me. I have to be. Yeah, for sure. It's funny <clears throat> when people, I just find it interesting because like, obviously we talk about this stuff a lot and you've been chewing on this stuff for a very long time. And it's not even that we're settled on anything. It's just you peel back enough and recognize what isn't the truth so many times. And so when people come at you, it's more like they're set coming at you on an answer with an answer. And then they're like, well, how do you know my answer isn't correct? It's like no answers are correct. And it's not even being correct. It's just the process of the conversation being had. But usually when someone comes to me and it's something that I've questioned a bunch, like spent hours and hours and hours, days and days and days, weeks questioning something. And they come and they're like, well, how do you know it's not this? Like I've just questioned it a bunch and it becomes very clear and obvious that certain things aren't the answer, aren't the truth. And none of them are. And then there's always like, it usually ends up with, well, how do you know that questioning everything isn't the answer? And it's like, okay, maybe it's not. Let's not question that. Like, where do you want me to go with that? It's just so funny because usually it comes out or stems from their discomfort and their unwillingness to want to go any further. And we just keep going further with things and we have no issue with continuing on with the conversation. And if you disagree, like, yeah, let's talk about it. But a lot of times people don't want to talk about it. They just want you to say, yeah, you know, you might be right. I don't know. But so many people just settle on even like the agnostic approach. I'm kind of curious of your take on this when people are just like, well, I don't, you know, it could be anything. Anything could be. It's like, yeah, anything could be. Or, or even settling on like, well, Christianity could be completely correct or or any of those belief systems could be completely correct. Like when people come at you with that, where do you go with those conversations usually? Anything could be correct. I mean, I get, well, actually that's not even true necessarily. Like, what do we mean by could be correct? Which part, which interpretation, like the whole thing, all of it, every interpretation, because even the four gospels have different stories about Jesus. I, I think Three of the Gospels have completely different last words that he said on the cross. Things like that. So, but the point being is that the argument, anything could be correct, is one of those things that doesn't go anywhere. It's like, great, okay, the sky could be purple, and we're just seeing it as blue because of our interpretation of that reflecting against our light, so on and so forth. And, and, and the point being, though, is that what is true? Can we just start there? Can we start with what is true? Can we, can we start with what we know? You are here now. Let's start there. That's really it. That's all we know, right? Let's just dwell in that. We don't have to start looking for things that could be. 
what is is pretty damned interesting right we just don't look at it instead we're so busy trying to envision things that make us feel better about what is we avoid what is we don't look at what is we think about what could be and then we wonder why we suffer and can't connect to god so i, I think that would be my my answer as a whole is you know we can spend as much time as you want in imagination or we could grow up and be here yeah and i guess that's really where we've been at for so long is in that state of just imagination and so caught up in that that we don't even settle into reality and and aren't here for it and we've been talking about the subconscious a lot and the idea that subconscious is being created here and now in reality in every single moment it's being molded and, and morphed and formed and changed and shifted but because we're so caught up in oh well this could be true this imaginary thing could be true like that thing is being formed without us being attentive to it and then it starts dictating more of our life as we go along and it's it we have to settle back into where we're at here and now and that's the extent of what we could possibly even you know quote unquote know is that i'm here now that's interesting any, we don't even recognize that we're doing that thing where it's like well this could possibly be true yeah that's the same reason you're worried that this person could possibly be judging you or that the future could possibly be filled with peril or that god could possibly be judging you like if you're going to go there then there's a lot of cuts there's a lot of uncertainty that you're trying to avoid through false certainty. Like it's the weirdest mechanism. Yeah. Cause so that phrase, what if that's something that a lot of people deal with when they're worried about the future, having anxiety, dealing with anxiety and whatnot, they're, they're constantly caught up in what if, like, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? Like, and, and dealing with that, is more common and like an approach that most of society takes it like you know what's what's the point in settling upon or, or getting so caught up in what if because it's not reality it's not here now and yet for belief systems they're all fucking what ifs they're all well what if this well what if this is true what if there is a man sitting up in the sky what if you know there is a hell what if there are flames that burn you for all of eternity what if there is a place where you can go only if you follow these rules? All of them are what ifs. And that's what people deal with who are going through bouts of anxiety and worry and fear. It's all caught up in what if, all caught up in their mind. And people don't recognize that belief systems are the same fucking thing. It's that what if. And because we're so uncomfortable with the reality of uncertainty and that we don't know, we take that what if and we're like, what if this? And then, then it makes that one makes us comfortable and we're like, yeah, I'll follow that. But at the same time, it it doesn't. It just gives us a wrong. false sense of certainty. Exactly. Oh, Which is man. the response they give you when they're talking to you about letting go of belief. Well, what if you're wrong? Right? What if we get to the end of life and you're wrong and I'm sitting in heaven while you burn in hell? And it's so funny because that's the fear that causes them to cling to that false certainty. Because what if I'm wrong? Like, what if you're not? Like, what if you're literally squandering what is? Your existence itself is a gift and you're squandering it 
because you're worried about something that may never ever happened and nothing in reality has actually given you any indication will happen except for other people who are also miserable and they'll say that they'll they're not squandering it because you know i still live my life i still you know do all the things i would do if i didn't believe and it's like but it's the mentality that what if and then settling upon that and having to use your mind to believe in that sort of belief system that carries over into so much more of your life so you're holding on to that saying you're not squandering your life and yet you're suffering you're worried about what everyone thinks about you you're concerned so much about the future you're afraid of everything you're constantly in a state of fear you're never relaxed you're always uptight you're always tense and you're saying you're not squandering it it's all so much more interconnected that people want to admit like all the belief systems are rooted in the same type of mentality, rooted in taking something in your mind and believing it to be the truth, which is the root of psychological suffering for the most part. Almost all, if not all, of our psychological suffering exists inside of our mind, and that's the same as any belief system. It's so much more tied together than people want to admit, and yet you know you question that, and they go crazy because it's such a fragile fucking belief system that's been dominant for a very long time right not just the belief system but belief as a whole has been a dominant part of human existence for a very long time to the point where it's habitual and again kind of addictive you know to the point where even in a moment of having a recognition of what is some clarity about awareness or unity or whatever that might be after the fact going back to your idea of yourself, you will start to put that up on a pedestal. You'll start to make it mystical. You start to make it something that's self that's self-defining and it ruins everything about that experience. And it's just habit. We've just been doing it for so long that we don't recognize we're kind of doing it because everybody around us is doing it and they're doing it because everybody around them was doing it. And it's just, it's just gone on for so long that there's nobody left in the party going, we're going to end this eventually, right? And so I guess that's that's the conversation we're having. As we said, I think in season two or something like that, it's getting late. It's time to wrap up, you know, time to mature a little bit and start putting away the party favors and start cleaning up the room. And nobody wants to do that right now because the party's just been going on for so long. Even though at this point, things are getting thrown out the window and somebody's shit in the middle of the floor, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I feel like it's inevitably shifting now like even you know with christianity and and those types of belief systems they're at record lows and people are leaving left and right because it's just making less and less sense to hold on to that like they were able to rely upon using it for things we couldn't explain and so as more and more things are able to be explained you know things like natural disasters and whatnot there you can't say it's like sky daddy anymore people still do people still deny the reality of just you know the function of the universe and and earth's weather patterns and whatnot but it's it's becoming more and more obvious and eventually it's just there's still going to be a lot of people just cling to it no matter how much could possibly get proven because of the fear but that fear is reinforced by the thing that they're trying to soothe it 
with, which is always interesting. But no, that's a good question. Just just because why not? We were talking about how our reality is perfectly symbolic of our mentality. We've also talked about how there really is no division between anything at all. At one point, we were discussing uh, the roots of astrology and just the recognition that, for example, like a supermoon where the moon is closer to the earth than it normally is, affects things in a way different way, uh, which would include us in our most vulnerable state such as a fetus and whatnot. And so you start thinking about astrology, you start thinking about all that stuff. And you start thinking about the fact that everything really is connected, all of it, which begs the question that not is everything symbolic of our mentality, but is even our mentality symbolic of everything that's happening? Does that include natural disasters? Because we were just saying like, oh, it's obviously not sky daddy, right? But everything's connected. So do the current changes on the planet somehow not reflect our mentality but are reflective of our mentality in the same way that our mentality is reflective of them is are they connected is what i'm saying is our current turmoil largely connected to our mentality and on the surface you could say well absolutely i mean look at the fact of uh, climate change and, and pollution and all the shit that that's doing in the world or or clear cutting or any of that stuff like that's all the product of our mentality and it's destroying the environment but I mean the other stuff, like volcanoes and storms and shit. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's got to be inevitably, but it's not something that you're going to go out and prove necessarily. Although with quantum entanglement and all of that, it's like, who's to say that it couldn't? at some point like if we were able to almost like i don't know do you think we'll ever be able to quantify our mentality in any way like is that so i guess you can kind of do it just with by looking around <laughs> but i don't know in terms of you know, like a volcano or a hurricane if it could be proven but at the same time, it seems like as we prove more and more that everything's connected, it inevitably has some impact. Maybe not, I was going to say maybe not the entire impact, but at the same time, if it has some impact, it has the entire impact in a way. Yeah. And well, to go back to your question, I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to be able to quantify not even just mentality because like mentality is always reflective of our commitment to that illusion right so quantify clarity maybe i'm not even sure what that would look like i guess we're, we'd be looking a lot like uh, power versus force and that that logarithmic chart of energy levels and whatnot but again like there's there's no measurable way to do that and it's always in flux which he even talks about in the book and then, of course, you're not just talking about quantifying one person's mentality or one person's state of awareness, but the collective as well, because it's not like the weather is dictated by the mentality of one individual. There is no one individual. So it would be the collective. That's really interesting. And, and I do. I, I wonder about it because it's not it wouldn't just be the mentality, but you know, 
everything that we do, all of our movements, everything interacts with the air around us, with the atmosphere around us, with the environment around us. I mean, it, it's, it all makes a change. So it's all intricately connected. But yeah, one has to wonder about the role of, of not thought, because I think that's something we've just we've been dis discussing lately, especially in terms of like telepathy and whatnot, because thought is almost like like a watered down version of intelligence. Right, because it's all conceptual. But intelligence, like the, the process of. Of process, for lack of a better word. I do think that there's a connection there for sure, because often when we watch our thoughts or that process happening, it really is experienced like experiencing the wind or experiencing the rain or say it's just part of our environment except it's part of our conscious environment and so one has to wonder is it separate from the environment at all uh no i don't think so and especially when we think about our you know like heart center vibration thing like that can be felt six feet outside of us and so if you think about the exponential component of that with all humans and all life on earth as that expands out it kind of i'm i'm guessing it probably is cumulative upon itself and so would there not be a collective sort of vibration encompassing the earth which includes all of the the weather patterns and and the big natural disasters and things like that. It seems like it it would have to be. I don't think there's any way that it wouldn't have any overlap at all, even given what we're able to prove with science and whatnot. Yeah, I'm curious as hell to see where science goes in that direction, because I mean, that's that's really the door we're knocking on, right? Is the connection between awareness and reality. Until we figured that out, everything else seems like we're just kind of stumbling in the dark because we're looking at reality or we're looking at ourselves, but we can't see how the two tie together. And so there's a lack of alignment. And I think it's interesting that we keep trying to quantify or make a structure about that alignment, but it really is an act of sensitivity. It really is something that you have to learn how to feel and align with by getting out of the way like it's it's not something that you can conceptually master or conceptually learn i think this is something that we keep missing in a lot of ways is the problem with these these old spiritual practices somebody in the discord was mentioning like what's the underlying philosophy here on dualistic unity it's like none none they're all useful in terms of there being stuff to chew on but none of them are the truth none of them will in any way supplement intelligence or awareness in the moment right like that's the whole thing and i think your response was perfect that you know, they kind of get in the way and they do right and that's the point that this is not about a philosophy it's not about a belief it's not about a concept if you're reaching for any of those things then we have not made the point clear the point is presence faith in yourself not in your idea of yourself again because that's not presence right so it's something that we cannot describe to you but we can try to point at hoping that you'll have that leap of insight that allows you to let go and just be without thinking about yourself constantly and then in that moment of just being you'll go ah, that's an option and then that option opens up and then it's really just exploring that option together because we have not been 
Yeah, absolutely. Someone, so someone responded to my uh, response. So my response was believing and following or identifying with any philosophy immediately creates inherent distortion. Someone responded to that, but isn't that view towards philosophy technically a philosophy? And so I think that's similar to the argument when I say I don't have any beliefs that, and they're like, okay, well, isn't not having any beliefs a belief? And I think because we're so caught up in taking thoughts to be the truth, believing that we are what we think we are, that we can't fathom not having a philosophy or not believing in something. And so as when someone says any philosophy that you hold on to creates distortion, someone immediately responds, well, isn't not having a philosophy a philosophy? It's like, it's just so indicative of the mentality that we're so enthralled in and caught up in that you can't even say, you know, I don't hold on to any philosophy without someone being like, well, that's your philosophy that you don't have philosophy. And it's like, oh man, but I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts to that type of response? It's the difference between the concept again versus the reality, right? This is why we always say that philosophy is the disease for which it should be the cure because it keeps you thinking in these high-minded concepts without actually applying any of them to reality. Because in order to apply the concepts, you have to look past the concepts. So it's not about being clever. It's not about talking about these these things it's about just being right we're having this conversation and it sounds intellectual but it's really not it really can be practiced by anyone children get this better than adults do right so it's not about a philosophy it's about what we are when we're not philosophizing what we are when we're not over conceptualizing what we are when we're not analyzing what we are it's just surrendering to that reality that's always been there under the surface that we just kind of piled up stuff on top of and forgot of and forgot about. Right. And that's very much it. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's like, well, isn't the idea that there's no concepts a concept? It's like, well, in description, yeah, but we're trying to point towards an insight that isn't conceptual. Right. And that's the thing is that we get so lost in language because language is conceptual and dualistic. And after long enough using it, we start to think that everything is conceptual and dualistic just by virtue of the soup that we swim in. Yeah, I like the uh, comparison to children you know, who recognize that I'm just here, I'm just now doing things for the sake of doing them as opposed to for the sake of getting somewhere or becoming something or <clears throat> you know, having their purpose in life and they do everything based on that purpose. Like children don't hold on to purposes. They're always their purpose. They, they recognize that philosophy being a child. Exactly. The, uh, um, and so you look at a child and you don't say, oh, that child's following this philosophy. They're, they're practicing Buddhism or Taoism or, or whatever. It's like, no, they're just being, and they're seeing it more clearly than anyone who's following any fucking belief system, any, Taoist or Hindu or Christian or whatever, the child is following significantly more closely without being philosophical. They're not following a philosophy. So I think that's a really good comparison to, to recognize that you know, children aren't philosophers and yet they're being here now. They're not holding on to any practices. They're not reading 
something and saying like, oh, I'm, I'm a Buddhist. I'm following these principles. And yet they're following them so much more closely than anyone who practices Buddhism and, and tries to be something. Because they're not following, right? They're, there's no structure that they're referring to. They're just being what they are, life, awareness, reality, doing its thing. Right. And it's, it's so interesting that an adult <laughs> would take that and create, as I said in the chat here, the philosophy of being a child, right. And try to create like children do it this way. And when a child sees this, they react this way. It's like, when, which child, where, right. That's the whole point is that it's infinitely fluid. And that's what, that's what makes it so uncomfortable for us because we've lost that faith in ourselves we've fallen we've hurt ourselves we've been betrayed we've been hurt we've been in an environment that was dangerous whatever the case may be the fact is is that we've lost faith in ourselves and so we overthink everything we're always looking for that structure to make sure we're on the right path right but the right path has always been what you already are it's just we try to think about that and that's what gets in our way it's such a subtle trap and, and that's the thing. It's so subtle that you don't even see yourself doing it because as soon as you go, what trap? You're in it. Yeah, for sure. All right. So along, along these lines, sort of being a child and holding on to adult concepts, I have a question here. What is your definition of success? My definition of success? Yeah. Um, am I still breathing? That's very much my definition of success. And the reason being is that there have been so many times in my life where I felt like I was failing only to later realize that that failure led to a success. And so success itself isn't any one state of being so much as an understanding that you're infinitely adaptable. It's not, it's not feeling good about yourself. And it's certainly not having more than others. It really is just not feeling lack. I would say to me, that's success. The recognition, I don't need anything outside myself that I, there is nothing that I'm lacking that I can't one day un unveil if I need to. There's nothing that I can't do necessarily when it's in front of me, so long as I put my full attention and my mind to it, and I don't tell myself a narrative. Like to me, that's success. Success is not feeling like I lack anything. It's not trying to get anything else. Andrew. Yeah, I think um, mine's very similar along those lines. I've thought about this before because it's not something I've thought about this question before because my definition isn't, isn't something that I keep in mind necessarily, but I guess it comes down to how attentive, how often am I attentive to where I'm at? And so it's definitely not something that I measure, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, Hmm, how attentive was I between nine and 12 PM and, you know, shit like that. It's just, that's kind of where the core of it is. And, you know, how often do I not want to be anywhere other than where I'm at? How often do I let go of the idea that I should be somewhere else? How often do I let go of the belief that I should be feeling any differently than I'm feeling? Because as Ray kind of said, as long as you 
keep going, like that thing you were going through inevitably leads to something else, which leads to something else, which you learn from and you learn from that. And then it leads to something else. And it's a continued process. So being like putting your finger on one event or one goal or one accomplishment very much limits your experience. And it, it places certain experiences above others. And when you recognize that it's all beautiful and amazing and and just the experience of of having the experience is it, even when it doesn't seem beautiful letting go of the desire or, or the idea that you should be feeling something else or going through something else is how i define success so it's it's not so much a specific you know make a million dollars type shit it's how attentive am i in each and every moment how often can I let go the idea that I should be somewhere else or that I lack something or that, you know, I want this thing and that turns into need. How often can I let go of all of those things? That's awesome. And it's not something that is dependent on anybody else. It's not something that you can find via comparison because how can you compare how attentive you are to your life versus how attentive somebody else might be? Cause you don't know. Right. So that sense of success is again, self-driven, right? It's not something that anyone can take away from you or threaten unless you let them. And then it's just a matter of reprioritizing. So that's a damn good answer, man. Thanks for sure. All right. I got another, this one's, this one should be a fun one. Uh, nature or nurture. I think it's just like nature versus nurture. Science says 30, 70. What do you think? I'd say 1090. The first one, nature. Second one, nurture. So they're leaning towards a lot more nurture than nature. I think we've talked about this before, but this this will be fun. <laughs> my my point always comes back to where do you define the line? Sorry, when did you stop being nature? Because you are nature. Nature is nurturing. Like it's it's all part of the same thing is just that we tend to divide ourselves from reality, the observer from the observed. Right. So that said, that's my answer. Yeah. I think it's rooted in the idea that there is a line is rooted in the limited idea of ourselves that we have. And this, this belief that, you know, we start when we're born and end when we die. And so therefore what we start with at birth is our nature and then our upbringing is our nurture, but we discount the inherent connection we have to all of reality leading up to our birth and all of reality after our birth and all of reality before our parents' birth that impacts our upbringing, our, our nature or our nurture, but it's their nature that indicates how they nurture, which indicates, which leads to our nurture, which is impacted by our, our nature. So there is no fine line and it's, it's not this simple, you know, put a bow and ribbon on type answer that we could possibly give because they're not disconnected. They're not separate. Nature informs the nurture and then the nurture informs that nature. Like with even just looking at something that's well-proven evolution, like evolution is impacted by the nature 
of people, how we, how we, you know, 10,000 years ago, we started doing things and, and things developed within us that we now define as our nature, you know, fight or flight response. That was something that was developed throughout, you know, that hundreds of thousands of years of experiences that now we define as our nature, but it was over the course of nurture, which impacted nature, which impacted nurture. So to say that it's one or the other, it's like, it's both perfectly both, but not in the 50, 50 sense. It's like a hundred percent, a hundred percent nature and nurture because they're one and the same. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like God and the devil, right? They're, they're, both opposite ends of the same spectrum right so it's i don't know, we think in dichotomies like that a lot and again it's because we feel isolated and alone which kind of leads me to the next question that somebody had asked here um on twitch and again i want to encourage anybody who's joined us here for dualistic unity raw to participate in the comment section we love these questions okay so almost 40 years old a little foggy here Kind of nihilistic right now, lack of clarity, not motivated, might need a tool. I'm thinking of a mushroom trip or microdosing. Do you have any advice of where to start? Just need clarity to see where to go with my career, motivation to even want to grow and make more money and give kids a more fun life. Um, I, I think I, I think the biggest thing for to start would be not to worry so much about your career and your kids and, and everything else. You got to take some of the weight off. I, I think you're trying to be something and that's largely causing the feeling that life kind of sucks. Like being nihilistic isn't necessarily a bad thing if it's accompanied with enthusiasm, right? Like understanding nothing means anything can either be freeing or it can be terrifying. I prefer freeing. And the reason I prefer freeing is because I like to get into stuff in general. I spent a long time not getting into stuff going, oh, life has no meaning. Why would I bother? Why wouldn't you bother? And that's the point. It's your life. It's your existence. And I think that's the only thing that you're failing to look at is that it's your existence and you're not going to get any of these seconds back. You're not going to get any of these minutes back. You're not going to get any of these of this time back. Why not do something with it? You know where this leads. It leads to where you are right now. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. It's not because you're going to be a better person. It's not because you're going to be a better dad. It's not going to be because it's not because your career is suddenly going to make your life better. You're going to make your life better because it's a priority for you to milk each and every moment as it goes by for whatever you can get out of it. But a big part of that is letting go of what you think you are, who you think you are, who you think you should be, who everybody else thinks you should be, letting go of all that shit and actually being free, just feeling free. And so that will allow you to start slowly to develop enthusiasm because freedom and enthusiasm they go to they go together but not right away especially when you have felt imprisoned or or have felt oppressed or locked in a box for so long it's kind of uncomfortable to be free right so if this is your first time tuning in i definitely encourage you to check out the podcast start in episode one scratching the surface and it will talk very much about unraveling yourself so you can feel more of your life and you can see that priority genuinely but it's not something that you're going to be able to just put on a shelf and say that's my priority and shoot for it like it's a goal or anything else especially if you're aware enough right now where you realize nothing has any actual meaning 
because that's that's a level of awareness where all of a sudden you're like why should i do anything and i've said this before you shouldn't you're out of the worlds of shoulds and shouldn'ts now now it's just can you or not do you want to or not because you can and it's a chance for you to reveal your potential that's really all it is we challenge ourselves because we want to see what we're capable of not because it makes us more so i hope that helps pass it over to andrew yeah well said i don't have much to add but i think it's always interesting when someone says they're nihilistic and then they get caught up in shoulds in saying you know nothing means anything nothing matters and i should be growing my career i should be progressing i should be making a better life for my kids it's like you're creating those shoulds inside of your mind and as you've already recognized with a nihilistic viewpoint you don't have to but then we're still caught up in this society in this world so we are still caught up in shoulds even if we're set we say that you know we're nihilistic so as Ray said the first thing is to let go of the idea that you should be doing anything and i get a response a lot of times when i say something like that and they're like okay well then what my kids are just gonna have a terrible life and i'm not gonna grow my career and i'm gonna become apathetic and and just not do do anything and just sit on the couch all day and it's like no when you let go of the idea you're already saying you're having a tough time with all these things when you let go of the idea that you should be doing any of them that's when you know, this sort of veil lifts and you're actually able to see things with more clarity. As Ray said, you you drop that weight of should. I should be doing this and I'm not. It creates discomfort. As long as you're not doing the thing that you think you should be doing, it cuts you off from being able to do the things that you could be doing if you weren't holding on to so much weight that comes with the belief that you should be doing anything other than what you're doing. So initially... Let go of the idea that you should be doing anything, and eventually you'll see things with a little more clarity, and that will allow you to move a little bit more freely and do things because you can, not because you have to, not because you should, but because it is an option, and that's how you're able to move forward. So, yeah. Absolutely. That all said, as a follow-up to your other question regarding psychedelics, yeah, they can be helpful. For sure. I wouldn't recommend LSD. I wouldn't recommend acid is what I'm saying. And the reason is because while it is a psychedelic, it doesn't have the same humbling effect that mushrooms tend to. So I would definitely recommend exploring psilocybin mushrooms if you're looking at a psychedelic experience because it will help you reset your default mode. It will help you settle back into uncertainty where you're just in the present. Um, microdosing can help to a certain degree. It'll help at least take off some of the weight. But if you really want to ground yourself and have that experience that kind of resets all your buttons and makes you open your eyes, you might want to consider a slightly larger dose. Um, nothing huge. And this is certainly not, not a recommendation that you should follow because this is just my own experience. But I would say like one and a half, two gram dose. One and a half, two grams is enough to knock you on your ass, but not to necessarily make it so you're incapable of functioning in the world. You'll still be able to wander around your house and enjoy the garden or, or have coffee or watch TV or whatever it is you want to do, but you won't have any of that sense of certainty. You'll definitely be feeling like time doesn't matter, and you will definitely be feeling like wherever you are is the entirety of the universe, which is very much the point, because it is, and that's the priority that you want to start looking at it from. So yes, 
while psychedelics are not necessary after a certain point, especially if you don't remember how to let go, if you're having problems letting go, psychedelics can absolutely be a useful tool, but done responsibly. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. When talking about tools and anything, really, when you're caught deep in, in the shit, I, I like to use an analogy and, and kind of think of them as literal tools. Like if you're in a very deep hole, something like psychedelics or therapy can be tools that help you like claw out of the hole. And then eventually you're, you're back out of the shit and you're able to walk around and you're able to drop the tools and exist in that way. Eventually, you know, you get down in, in some ditches, but they're not so deep anymore that you need to immediately run back to the tools. And so, yes, they can be absolutely super useful for, you know, being able to just see things in a slightly different perspective. They allow you to shift your perception of things and the way you're so caught up in seeing things just enough that it, that it could cause you to, you know, see just a couple other options. And then as you take those other options, they lead to more options, more options, more options. But until you see those options can be very difficult to continue, you know, moving through those things. And again, as we re reiterate many times, they're definitely not necessary psychedelics, but they can absolutely be useful. And there's no shame in using them, especially when you're caught deep in the shit. Absolutely. There was a follow-up question here. Uh, two follow-up questions, actually. The first was, uh, the problem is, is that, you know, I pay the bills for three, four months, and then I usually relax and try to analyze how I can retire one day being a freelance photographer. So, so that's, that's a different thing. So I understand that being self-employed, uh, those three, four months are killer. Those three, four months that you're just uh, relaxing as, as the, the stress decreases because you have the money to pay your bills. Those are the months where you can actually make progress. And it's not progress on your career necessarily as progress on you. Like relaxing is valuable, but so is participation, right? So instead of just relaxing for those three, four months, relax with a hobby, learn something else like you did with photography. At one point, that was a passion for you and it brought you to where you are now. There are other things that you can do that may tie into photography. They may not tie into photography at all. It doesn't matter, but it may bring out your passion, which may get you moving. And that, that movement is all you really want. Um, as for your second question regarding if I have a specific strain of psilocybin mushrooms that I would recommend, Again, I can't recommend anything because, you know, I'm not a professional by any means, but from my personal experience, golden teachers, golden teachers are, are definitely my favorite strain in that they have a nice balance between visuals and profound insights, for sure. They're, they're a nice, gentle strain. They're not too heavy by any means. I've had nothing but good experiences with them. Yeah, agreed. Love, love golden teachers. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else to add on top of that. I think covered that pretty, pretty well. We do have um, one more question in the chat. I um, want to get to, cause it is on, on the same kind of, um, topic, except that it has nothing to do with mushrooms. Do you smoke pot and have you noticed any benefits? Yes. And yes. Also, yes. And yes, <laughs> I don't, I don't smoke as much as Ray. Uh, and I actually haven't since, yeah, since the retreat, but, uh, 
because I haven't had, uh, I was thinking actually about driving over to Colorado here. It's a few hour drive just to, just to get some, cause I haven't had any in a little while. And yeah, usually I've had a few times where like over the summer, I didn't have my, I have a PAX like weed vape and I didn't have it for a few weeks. And then I, I only smoke it like once or twice a week usually. And, and the first time I smoked after that, I was getting whacked in the face with insights like left and right. And it was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know, in my experience talking about psychedelics, mushrooms versus weed, I've found that weed is almost more of a practice. Like it's, it's getting your reps in for acceptance and letting go psychedelics. You can definitely have some very deep, profound insights, but it's not as much a practice unless you're really far from, you know, being in a state of acceptance, but with psychedelics, usually it's like you accept you're feeling a little uncomfortable and you're like, this is okay. And then you, you're good with weed. It's like feeling uncomfortable. This is okay. Oh, feeling more uncomfortable. This is okay. And it's like a repetitive thing the whole, whole entire time. Uh, especially cause you can kind of keep smoking. Usually with psychedelics, you're not like popping a gram every 30 minutes or so, <laughs> unless, unless you're right, like 15 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever. Um, but that's what, that's what I found. And it's funny cause they have such crazy stigmas against them, but they're both super, super useful for working through anxious thoughts, certain ways of being where you're in a state of resistance because it kind of forces you it doesn't allow you to suppress them so much because as you suppress them there's there's a cost to that there's repercussions there's there's consequences to trying to suppress it where you feel worse you feel more anxious whereas as you practice letting go of the idea that you know you should be feeling any differently and you accept where you're at you you're able to kind of work through it and, and deepen into that state of relaxation. But if you're resistant to how you're feeling, it's going to show you that you're being resistant. Whereas when you're not smoking, you're able to kind of shirk all of those things and, and push them to the side and, and box them away, which there's still the suffering, but it's not in your face as much. So you're able to avoid it. Whereas with weed, it's going to be in your face. So it is actually a great, both of them are great practices for life. Not that it's something you should necessarily completely rely on, but they can be super, super useful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the weed. I have been for a very long time. Of course I, I have uh a type of glaucoma that actually makes weed beneficial to me in another way as well. But long before I had glaucoma, I was a fan of weed. There's a lot there. There's also a lot of danger there in terms of using it as a way of kind of tuning out the world, uh, putting yourself in a fog because some weeds will do that. And that can be helpful too, if you're suffering through physical pain and, and whatnot. I mean, there are definitely types of weeds that will help you sleep, help you relax, help you deal with some of your pain, but on the psychological level or on the cerebral level, specifically with sativas and whatnot. Um, yeah, there's a lot of benefit for sure. Cause again, it has the same impact on your brain as meditation to a certain degree. And so it's putting you in a relaxed state where you become more aware of the shit that you're habitually doing underneath the surface. So, uh, somebody a follow up question on cannabis, uh, what's a healthy break between smoking 
whatever you feel like, honestly, it depends on your situation. Uh, as always, there's no set rule, but if you find yourself smoking like a lot, a lot, and it's habitual and you want to take a break, I would recommend at least two weeks, take two weeks, you know, that way when you come back to it in those two weeks time, you, you've had a, a healthy chance to come back to reality without the influence of, of cannabis and it will make you appreciate the transition that much more. Yeah. I, I don't have as much experience with weed, so I can't dig into, you know, when good breaks are and whatnot, but listen to Ray for those, <laughs> but also question him at the same time and, and experience it for yourself and figure things out on your yeah, own. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You'll, you'll work it out for sure. But, uh, you know, the longer the break, typically the more you're going to learn from it. So, uh, another question here, every time you guys have experienced confusion in communicating, like holding on to the idea that there's a right or wrong thing to say, what was the recognition that allowed you to see the illusion? Let me pass this to you first. Uh, understanding that there isn't a right or a wrong thing to say. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it is that simple. I think a lot of times when you're still very caught up in the idea of yourself, it's a lot harder to see beyond the conceptual illusions you know, right or wrong thing to say, concern about judgment, what people think of you because you're very much caught up in the idea of yourself. And even, even, you know, overthinking people struggle with a lot or any type of anxiety or fear. It's, it's cause you're caught up in the idea of yourself. And so letting go or, or recognizing that it isn't the truth of what you are through a state of questioning, through recognizing that, you know, your thoughts about reality are never going to be the truth of what it is. Your thoughts about yourself aren't the truth of what you are. It's just about an idea of you. It's rooted in the past through working, you know, working through that and kind of keeping that in mind and just being in that constant state of questioning, not settling upon answers because they temporarily allow you to feel more comfortable. It's a, it's a constant process, but all of those things are sort of the practice, but it's just letting go of the idea that anything you settle upon is the truth because it never ever is. And as long as you keep that in mind, it's it's not that you won't get hung up on things or feel weight or feel heavy with things, but as long as that's there and you keep kind of working through that, it'll eventually pass. Yeah. And expectation. Watch out for expectation. Often you'll find yourself tripping up in sentences or in communication because you're trying to get somewhere. And because you're trying to get somewhere, there's a lot on the line, which creates a lot of stress and a need to analyze yourself. And immediately you've gotten in the middle of everything that would have been coming out of your mouth smoothly. Otherwise, until you started doubting yourself and you're doubting yourself because your intentions aren't necessarily to be there with the person which you know. So that's something definitely recognizes that you're aware of your own intentions. And it will trip you up, especially if you're recognizing that it's based on something selfish or just based on fear, right? Like understand that every conversation you have is a fluid thing. It's going to change, not just based on what you say, but based on the mood of the person you're talking to, the day they've had leading up to that conversation, some of their triggers could be something about you. You don't even know. It could be the way you style your hair reminds them of somebody who abused them in the past. And that's going to change the conversation for you. Right. So it helps to, re to recognize that you don't know what's going to result from the conversation going in. And as long as you don't get too caught up in that, 
trying to know, there's nothing really to worry about. You're just going to adapt as best you can. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, just to reiterate the expectations part, like having, we oftentimes have this idea that we need to say everything perfectly and go into every situation and, and handle it you know, perfectly. And perfection doesn't exist. That that ideal that you have of the way things you want things to go or how you should act or how you should be able to respond doesn't actually exist. So letting go and allowing yourself to you know, make mistakes, not letting go of the expectation that you shouldn't make any mistakes or, or that things should go absolutely perfectly and everything everyone should understand exactly you know, what you're saying and you should never make any mistakes in life. Like letting go of that allows for that you know, weight of the expectation to drop and then you're kind of free from it and able to move forward significantly more fluidly and actually be attentive to where you're at because as long as you're expecting or, or believing that a thing should turn out in a certain way, you're focused on how it's going to end and missing the entire thing while it's actually happening. So just being where you're at, being attentive to the situation that you're in and letting go of the idea that it should turn out in any given way, because at the end of the day, you don't even know what that situation is going to lead to. You know that that idea of it happening well or perfectly, or the right thing happening versus the wrong thing happening, those don't exist. And and what happens after, whether it's the right or the wrong thing happening, you don't know where that's going to lead throughout your life. So the right thing happening could lead to a worse situation than the wrong thing happening. The wrong thing could lead to the best thing you ever experienced. You don't know. So kind of relaxing into that state of uncertainty allows you to just be attentive to where you're at and move fluidly through any given situation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's funny because just prior to me joining TikTok, I had taken a job for the first time in 10 years or so because I had been self-employed. I had to move last minute we talked about this in the manifestation workshop um and just before i moved i had an opportunity to take this remote job and and i took that job and it didn't necessarily end up being what i wanted it to be and the environment ended up being a little bit more toxic than i would have liked and so as a result i withdrew a little bit in terms of my attention and my enthusiasm for the job and my daughter came along and introduced tiktok to me I was like, oh, okay, fine, I'll give in, I'll check it out. I started playing with TikTok. And then all of a sudden I started playing with TikTok a lot more. And a lot of it was because my job was sucking. And so I was having more time to kind of play around with these insights that I was playing with. And I remember at one point, um, my wife had asked me like, do you think that maybe this is taking away from your job? Like the fact that you're focused on TikTok? And I'm like, no, because admittedly, like the environment is beyond my control. So I'm just taking advantage of the time while I've got it to think about these things and, and whatnot. And then six months later, I met you and we started the podcast. Right. And so it's so interesting how often it'd be like, oh, you know, I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And then you realize that it's actually, it's maybe some underlying passion that's trying to come out. Maybe it's some change in your direction that's trying to manifest as a result of a change in you. And you don't know because you're always looking at it from your own fears and your preferences and the things that you've been taught by everybody else is the right thing to do. And your brain's automatically going to run through all of those things because that's how your brain works. 
And even beyond that, the first video I saw of you was filmed 17 years prior and you were debating even filming the video back when you were a lot younger. You ended up filming it, ended up posting it on a platform that wasn't even close to being created. Even social media was basically not even a thing back then almost. And then you, you post it on there and then we come across each other and here we are. So yeah, just wild how things turn out sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, especially considering like that, that video was part of a bunch of other videos that I released at that time, most of which ended up getting me attention. I didn't want in a lot of ways. Right. And so I pulled them off offline i put them on a hard drive and i just left them offline for the longest time until one day i'm like huh this one's pretty good i'll throw this one up i'm pretty sure like this rant might resonate with somebody and 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 it did but yeah even even going to the forest which is what inspired that video was something at the time where i'm just like i just quit my job i just walked out i sold all my shit i just ran off to the forest like you can imagine all all of the things your brain goes through in that moment like what are you doing? <laughs> are you throwing your life away? Right. But the fact is, is that there are experiences in that that you can't possibly understand. There are ways that you're going to grow from that you can't possibly anticipate. And this is the reason it's so important to go out and, and do adventurous things or to do risky things to some degree while you're in your 20s and your 30s, especially because that's the stuff that you're going to think back on later. That's the stuff that's going to enrich your perspective of your life. You know, it's not just about travel. It's about hardship. It's about hardship. Like it's about just going through shit, jobs you don't like, relationships you don't like, friendships that are challenging, it's moving to a new city, whatever it might be. It's about change and uncertainty. You accept that in your younger years and your in your older years, you recognize how much it, it makes you appreciate what you have. But the alternative is living in a box of false security and false concepts and false hope for the longest time until one day you're 15 and you're 16, you're wondering what the hell you've been doing your whole life, right? Because you have no experience outside of the day in, day out, habitual repetition that you've gotten used to over several decades, right? So yeah, it's, it's worth just getting out there and fucking shit up. Yeah, the last uh, couple, probably two months, maybe three months, I've been writing on my daily to-do list that I keep track of stuff on uh, either something along the lines of do a bunch of shit wrong today or fuck up a bunch today. And so like, that's been kind of my mentality and it's not, you know, people will hear that and be like, Oh, you want to like mess up and like ruin things all day. And it's like, no, it's just, I keep in mind, you know, when I am editing a video or, or especially, you know, situations like that or making a vlog or something, usually, you know, you edit it to a degree and then you kind of let go and you're trying to get it right, right on. Then you're like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to put this out there. And it's getting to that point and just allowing it to be, even when you don't feel like it's completely there or, you know, going into any type of situation and just being willing to do something wrong, which I don't even like saying the word wrong, but it's just the mentality of being able to go into situations without so much fear because you're trying to almost like being not trying to, but being willing to make a bunch of mistakes because that is what you learn from. Because if you're in a mentality where, you know, you write on your to-do list, don't do anything wrong today, you're not going to do anything. You're going to sit in your bed all day. 
that's what you're going to do. So when you're in the mentality of do a bunch of shit wrong today, it's like, let's just do a bunch of shit and see how it turns out. And so keeping that mentality in mind allows you to just do more things, which inevitably leads to other things, which leads to lessons, which leads to you know more clarity, which leads to more things you're able to pull from when you're talking to someone or interacting with someone or someone's you know, asking your advice, you're like, oh, I've been, actually been through a very similar situation. Here's what I did. Here's how it turned out, blah, 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 blah. If you're in the mentality of doing everything properly and correctly and perfectly all the time, how it's going to manifest is you're just not going to do anything. You're just not going to say anything. You're not going to put yourself out there. You're not going to you know, post any videos or do that extra thing at work that you think you want to do, but you're afraid of messing up or what someone's going to think of you for doing it. It's like, if you're in the mentality of fucking up a bunch of shit, it's like you just keep doing stuff and, and learning from it. And if you're attentive to what you're doing while you're in the mindset of being able to allowing yourself to make mistakes and not be perfect and mess a bunch of stuff up, like you're inevitably going to learn a lot and have a lot of experiences to pull from. Yeah. Absolutely. Enthusiastically get in there, but you have to be willing to understand that nothing changes your value. Like doing a good job doesn't make you more valuable. Doing a shitty job doesn't make you less valuable. It's all just part of the process. If you can recognize that and just continue on, just keep swimming, as Dory said in Finding Nemo, right? Like that's the best part about that movie. Just keep swimming. And it's true. That's life in a nutshell. Just keep moving forward because that is living. Right. But recognize what you mean by moving forward and why. Are you making it about you? Are you making it about a need? Are you making it about a fear? Or is it just, this is you, existence, continuing on as existence, seeing what you can do as existence? Because that's really it. If you can just let go and be existence itself. There's nothing you need to prove to anyone. And everything is an opportunity for you to surprise yourself with how much you're capable of. And that's really it. But you have to let go of this idea that it means anything about you. It doesn't mean anything about you at all. But it's a fun experience, or at least it's an experience. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I got another question. Kind of shifting directions here slightly the rise of non-duality what's your reaction so i think this is in terms of the non-dual belief type systems um i think as with every belief system uh there are dangers i think that the non-duality conversation is great until it becomes a philosophy and then it becomes something that detaches us from reality as with all philosophies Right, it becomes something that we have to try and live up to, or, or speak about in a certain way. There's a certain syntax, there's a certain language. Um, we've often been told that this is a non-dualistic conversation, despite the fact that we've often said there's nothing but duality in our experience, which is kind of funny because there is no such thing as non-duality or duality. Right, you're talking about the same thing from slightly different perceptions. And I think that we forget that we had somebody on the show, I believe it was in season two, um, who talks about non-duality on her own YouTube channel. And there was a sizable gap between the recognition 
that there, there really is no individual, that none of us are separate versus the denial or, or and the denial that there is still the awareness of you. Like the philosophy was so dominant of none of us are ourselves that there was no acceptance that you are still responsible. You are still accountable. Like I find the non-dual argument to really take away responsibility. Like everything just is what it is. And that's very true, but that doesn't take away your participation in this or your capacity for enthusiasm or empathy. And so I find those non-dual arguments and the non-dual philosophers tend to be, well, like most philosophers, dry. I, I find them to be largely lifeless. You know, it's very much about the philosophy and how clever it is rather than the application in terms of relationships and actually doing anything about the world that we're a part of. I find it another intellectual exercise in masturbation, essentially. You know, it might feel really good intellectually, but it doesn't do anything. So I think that as with all philosophies, they should be looked at, taken for the ounce of truth that's there and then let go for the toxic structure that it will become. Yeah, I think in the conversations that I've had with people who are very hung up <clears throat> on the non-duality belief system, there's, there's this idea that because they're identified as a non-dual you know, teacher or expert or guru or whatever, that they are, you know, nothing, everythinging, but they discount the fact that that would mean that everyone else is nothing, everythinging, and therefore it's all the same, nothing, everythinging. And beyond that, there's also a denial and even using the phrase like nothing, everything, they're trying to use language to get to you like express unity better than anyone else is and so it's clear that duality and unity are seen as inherently separate things that like right now this is all unity and there therefore there is no perception of duality and there's very much a denial of the perception of duality and the perception of division doesn't mean that there is but there is an active denial and almost it, it basically becomes a belief in non-duality a belief in unity and so everything they do they have to be super careful about what they say because god forbid they you know say something dualistic and then you know they're they're no longer a non-dual expert or guru and so they they almost discount the reality of this experience and the ability to recognize the you know, non-dual nature or unified nature of this reality without seeing that, oh shit, I forget what I said, where I was going with that, but they, they discount or, or try and believe in the non-dual nature of this and discount the perception of duality again. And so it just becomes another belief system and, and very difficult to interact with the rest of themselves like they they very much they deny their meanness or experience and and yet they don't deny anyone else's sort of like they see everyone very much as other and so 
they're perceiving division between themselves and the rest of reality, but then not recognizing the perception of it doesn't mean that it's the reality of it. So that was well said, but that's it, right? It becomes another belief in unity or a belief in this radical non-dual message. Um, and it's nothing that's really that radical, except that again, it, it denies the other side, right? Like there is no meanness. There obviously is because you're speaking, right? You have the experience of speaking. Whether that experience is based on an illusion is, re- is irrelevant. The fact is, is that there very much is a meanness that is your experience. Right? To deny that for the sake of abiding by a philosophy that there is no duality is a denial of what is. And this is why our podcast is called Dualistic Unity, is because they're both true simultaneously, both and neither. Right, And so we don't want you to identify with a certain philosophy. We don't want you to grab onto one side versus the other. We want you to be yourself. That's it. And being yourself, you're both. You are both one and dualistic. We all are, but it's in the acceptance of what is. It's not in the denial of what is. And it's certainly not in the intellectual processing of what is all the time. This is the thing about philosophy. And again, I say this not just about non-dual teachers, but it's certainly um, often the case in that group. They're so lifeless. Like there's no emotion there. Very, very little. It's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's rote. There's a certain degree of language that's just repeated over and over and over again. And there's no enthusiasm in it because it's not based on really empathy. It's not based on really connection. It's based on this intellectual processing of what duality might be, right? And while that's important, I'm not saying it's not. It's way more important to recognize the experience of suffering It's way more important to get out of your head and actually experience things and live with people because that will inform you far more than any intellectual philosophy ever will. Yeah, because oftentimes they're so caught up in the belief system and saying the right words and using the right words. There's very, or at least I find there's very little flow state experienced. There's very little lack of thought in there discussions in their talks and whatnot, despite them believing that there is, I guess, because they just keep saying the same types of things over and over. And so they're always keeping in mind like the right thing to say and the right thing to express because they think there is a right thing to express. And that was very much uh, our experience on one of our podcast episodes with someone who believes that they are a non-dual expert, which in and of itself, even though they may say that they think they're not or deny that, like they're kind of identifying as a non-dual expert. And so when they were, uh, when they were responding to certain things, it was very much just, I don't know, practiced. And when we would say something, they would respond with like, oh, I, I wouldn't say it like that. I would say it like this. There's a, there's a better way to say it. There's a right way to say it. There's this idea that there is a correct way to use language, not recognizing that it's inherently dualistic. And so there is no 
perfect way or right way to use language. And even the belief that there is a right versus a wrong way to say it is very divisive and dualistic in that ideal, as opposed to recognizing, sure, there's ways to express things that have a, a little bit more of a degree of clarity versus less degree of clarity, possibly. But it's not to say that there's that one is right and one is wrong because no language or, or words or concepts that we express are ever going to be actually what it is. So you have to kind of go into the conversation understanding that there is no perfect way to say it. There's no right way to say it. And then you can actually have a conversation about it and go back and forth as opposed to just getting caught up in you know, the minute details of the words being used. So I don't know, you got anything else to add about? No, I, I think that you, you got it pretty well. Uh, somebody was just asking what episode we're talking about because they may have missed that. I believe that is season two, episode nine. Is that correct? It's called Beyond Words. Yeah, I think it's season two. Yeah, yeah. Season two, episode nine. Yeah, You'll find it for sure. Uh, we do have a follow-up question. Uh, being myself is not working for the people I meet to start hiring me and or consider me as someone who can do what I uh, assist others to do. That's why I think I may need a tool to change my vibe, concept, and way to be. Okay, well, I guess that really depends. I mean, if you're being yourself is one of those difficult things because if it's who you think you are then that's not being yourself like the idea that you're like well being myself isn't working you're always being yourself it doesn't matter if you change the way you interact with other people it's still you to some degree the question is are you trying to be something the question is are you holding on to some idea of yourself while you're changing or while you're going through those interactions right so you're saying they don't resonate with you why right that's all. It's just why. It's not necessarily that you're doing something wrong, but perhaps they have certain triggers, they have certain expectations, they have a certain mentality that they live within that unfortunately you're going to have to adapt to. doesn't mean that you're not being yourself, but it is being considerate to the environment that you're a part of. It's just like walking onto a construction site. You put on a hard hat. Why? You know, not because you're afraid, but because it's prudent to do so. It's part of the environment that you're in. And so when you go into an environment where people are hiring you, for example, omit certain things that you don't necessarily think that they should know like perhaps you had a shitty morning don't share that with them or perhaps you know things have been a little challenge uh, challenging for you don't share that with them and why don't you share that with them well because maybe they just don't want to hear it maybe they've had their own problems maybe they're looking for somebody who's just saying like i'm just here to do the job i, I don't i'm not here to tell you anything about myself or my story i'm here to get it done so it depends that all said you're still going to end up not succeeding you're still going to end up not meeting everybody's expectations there's always going to be somebody who just doesn't vibe with you there's nothing you can do about that all you can do is do your best to adapt that's all you can do and keep at it if that person says no there's another person if that person says no there's another person just keep going and if all of those people say no there's another path entirely there's all kinds of different directions but the important part is to not tell yourself that things are in your way it's not to defeat yourself before you even get in the office because that carries with you Yeah. And even the desire, I know this in the immediate seems like not what you want to hear maybe, but like the, the desire to be liked by anyone going into a situation means you're not being yourself. You're being the idea that you think they're going to like. And so when you go into an interview and think, 
I need this right now. This is what's best for me. I need to be liked by this person. You're not going to be yourself. And then, you know, going beyond that, you get the job that you want. You you get hired by the person that you're trying to get to hire you. And if you're not being yourself in that and you get a job based on the idea of yourself that you want to be, that you want this person to like, you may not enjoy the job as much as you thought. It may not be a great fit for you. And so I know it seems like if you actually are letting go of that and actually are being yourself and going into these situations and you know it takes a few tries to get hired, it takes a handful of tries to get hired, keep at it. Usually when you are not trying to be anything for anyone, you're in a state of relaxation and you are easily adaptable to the situation. People do very much appreciate that. If there's any kind of universal mentality that people gravitate towards, it's someone who's relaxed and not expecting them to like them. Because if you're expecting them to like you, you're expecting something from them. People don't like to be expected of things. And because then you're really acting manipulatively if you're being something that you're not normally not being yourself, but trying to be something for someone else. There is a degree, you know, a twang of manipulation in that because you're trying to get them to like a certain thing that you think they'll like. So letting go of the idea that you want them to like you will allow you to be more relaxed and and even just relaxing into the reality that you don't know if this is the perfect job for you, because that will also reinforce a state of relaxation, which is typically the best mentality to be in for any type of situation in which you want something to happen is letting go of the desire for it to happen because then you're in a state of relaxation and then it allows your true self to come through and then you're able to connect with the person even, even more. Yeah, it's also very difficult to connect to people when you're thinking about yourself, when you're thinking about your preferences in terms of small talk, for example, or you're thinking about the fact that you're introverted, or you're worried about how they're perceiving you. Um, one thing that helps, and I know because I used to be an introvert, is honestly being enthusiastic about other people. So it's not just focusing on yourself, being curious about them, honestly curious, not just you know trying to get through the interview and, and leave a, a good impression, but since you're there anyway, and this person just expressed you know, something exciting is happening in their life or something exciting about their day, or, or they expressed anything, anything at all that, that is reflective of who they are, show interest in it. Just show interest in it. It's not hard. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I was out in the weekend with family. Oh, what'd you do? In the same way that you would hope somebody might show interest in you and with the same level of enthusiasm, if you can, right? Because you're talking to yourself. So often... The big thing about intro being introverted is the fact that you're being self-involved. You're thinking about yourself, which is making it difficult to connect with others who are also self-involved. So you actually have to show interest in them in order for them to show interest in you. So it, it's kind of a, a reciprocity thing. And again, it has to be genuine. It has to be because you're there anyway. You're there anyway. Why not make it a pleasant experience for both of you? rather than just make it about getting the job. Yeah, absolutely. The last follow-up was asking if there is a certain substance that helps with relaxing around clients and or people, your income 
depends upon. I mean, <clears throat> I think, yeah, no, it's it comes down to the repetitions and doing it a lot. Like that's the the pill that people don't want to swallow is that it's not going to happen overnight. There is no magic pill. It's about putting yourself in situations that you are uncomfortable in despite being uncomfortable, like doing the thing despite how you feel, doing the thing despite how afraid you are, doing the thing despite how worried you are or feeling like, you know, it's going to be the end of the world if it doesn't go well. It's doing it all despite that. And eventually, you know, you have so many experiences doing it that there isn't so much concern for, you know, going into the situation. But at first, that concern is very much going to be there. It's going to be loud and in your face as you're going into it. And it's just about doing it despite how you feel, recognizing that how the situation goes doesn't actually mean anything about your value. You know, if it goes super well and you get the job, doesn't mean that you're any more valuable. That's awesome. But if you go into it and don't get the job, the person for whatever reason doesn't resonate with you, doesn't diminish your value in any way, shape or form, but it really comes down to the action, taking the reps, getting, getting in those situations they are afraid of going through it as opposed to avoiding it or trying to circumvent it or navigate around it or taking some magic pill. It's got to come down to just doing the thing despite how you feel. That should be like an, uh, like a bumper sticker, do the thing despite how you feel, because it's true. That's often the case, right? It's just, you may not enjoy this, but that doesn't mean you can't. That doesn't mean there's not there's something you can't get out of it. Talking to people really is it's it's a skill. Like if you want to be able to practice talking to people, talk to more people. Right, go and spend time at a coffee shop. Just just jump into conversations wherever you can. If you're on the bus with somebody standing beside them, hey, how's it going? You know, because it's it's in that that you'll learn how to dance with people because it is it's a dance conversation is very much a dance you go back and forth it's your turn it's my turn sometimes it's both of our turns and, and that's the thing is that if if the other person doesn't feel like you're in the dance with them they're not going to show much interest in you and it's because they're also trying to learn the dance they're also trying to be a part of it as much as they can be this is a big thing about relationships is that when both people are enthusiastically just in the conversation it's a different conversation but when you're both in it kind of reluctantly for your own reasons then that conversation is one way on both sides and it never it never works out um give you an example the one of the last jobs i ever took i walked in I just asked to, go, to, to come in to do a consultation on their campaign. I wasn't looking for a job. I didn't have a resume in. I didn't even know they were hiring. They just asked me to come in for a conversation. I went in half hour later, I walked out with a yearly salary, a remote job. I didn't even give them my resume. They never checked my references. And it was just because of the conversation. It was because of how at ease they felt with me because I wasn't trying to get anywhere. I was just building a relationship with them for the amount of time that I had them in front of me. It wasn't for any other purpose other than I'm here. Might as well get the most out of this. Might as well have as much fun with this conversation as I can, right? And so the tone changes instead of it just being about that end result, instead of them just being a means to an end, because we feel all that, right? So just like finding, you know, your, again, your own enthusiasm, your own freedom, your own zest for life, your own priority for recognizing this is your existence, that 
comes across in your relationships as well. Because if you can enjoy your life for the moment that you're in, then you'll enjoy your conversations for the moment that you're in. Yeah, I, that was well said. I have nothing more to add to that. <laughs> we, uh, you want to go to another question here? And do All right. All right. Awesome. Uh, how do you continue to grow slash learn if you simply just accept yourself as you are? So I, I can start with this one. <laughs> um, so I think there's this idea that you have to resist the way that you are. You have to feel like you're not enough in order to learn and grow. But the reality is that learning and growing happens here and now. It's not something that happens in the future after you you know, beat yourself up and tell yourself you're not enough and you're lacking all of these things. And then you, know, you learn and you grow. Learning, well, growth is just a constant and, and learning happens as you're attentive to the moment. You can't learn something in five minutes. When, when it happens, it's you're learning it now. When you're attentive to the experience, when you're actually enthusiastic and engulfed in what you're doing, that's when you actually learn things. Anytime you're doing it and even doing it for the sake of, you know, better, bettering yourself or improving, it's going to cut that attention that you could have for learning for the sake of learning in half. And so letting go of the idea that you need to get anywhere, that you have to get anywhere because you lack right now will allow you to actually learn things here and now. And then when it comes to growth, that's always happening. You're always making progress. It's it's kind of a constant. And so, yeah, accepting yourself as, as where you are and where you're at actually allows for learning and growth to happen because if you're not accepting yourself where you're at, you're, you're reinforcing lack here and now. You're, you're learning for the sake of becoming something more than you are. You're cutting your attention in half as soon as you do that. And so accepting yourself, I would argue, is actually a requirement to learning and growing to the best of your ability as opposed to not accepting yourself. Yeah. And I would go back to our earlier conversation about children, right? Children up to a certain point are learning faster than we do for the rest of our lives. The first five years of a child's life, they are learning at a pace that we do not learn at for the rest of our lives. And, and it's because they're just in the moment. They're not thinking about themselves because the concept of themselves is still forming. So the reason that they're taking in so much information, frankly, is because they're not in the way. So they're just absorbing it. It's just like the reason that children learn uh, second languages so much easier. It's because they're not getting in the way with what they think they know. They're just absorbing it and adapting based on the absorption of that information. So accepting yourself is the easiest way to learn anything because then you're not putting your old self in the way of your new self coming into fruition. Because that's the problem. As soon as you start thinking about yourself and judging yourself and analyzing yourself, you're thinking about who you used to be, not who you are right now. So how can you do the thing you're doing right now without being the person you are right now? It doesn't work. You have to be who you are in order to be where you are and get what you're doing done. Otherwise, it's going to take that much longer and you're going to half-ass it because you're just not in it. You're just not fully present in what you're doing. So either the job is going to suffer or you are going to suffer through doing the job poorly. Right. So accepting yourself, and that really just means stop thinking about yourself, um, 
is the best way for you to adapt and learn because you are an adapting and learning machine. Yeah, and, and being who you are, just to reiterate, is not the idea of you you hold on to. Like, oh, I'm I'm this, I'm Andrew, and I have this like and dislike, and I'm good at this and bad at this, and so I'm going to keep doing this moving forward. It's like that that type of mindset holding on to the idea of you inevitably hinders your growth and ability to learn because that idea of you is never the truth of what you are. And so being who you are is just being the situation that you're in, being the process of learning. You know, you're reading a book, you're trying to learn <laughs> about a certain topic. Like in that moment, you are that experience of reading the book, of learning it, not for the sake of bettering that idea of yourself, just for the sake of doing it. When you're doing the thing for the thing, it actually allows you to put 100% of your attention into that thing. When you're doing the thing for an external reward or to better the idea of yourself, that attention gets cut in half. You're lucky if you're using half of your attention on the thing that you're doing, that you're trying to learn from when you're caught up in doing it for a certain reward or for a payoff or you know to improve or be seen as a better person in the eyes of society. Yeah, good answer. That's what I've got. All right, awesome. Uh, do we have any in this chat i think we're good on this chat do you have any others um oh i did uh, want to mention because somebody asked earlier and i wrote it in the chat uh, if anybody is looking for me on instagram you can either find my instagram account at Co coalition for you or just look up dualistic unity because everything that that we post to social media right now also gets posted as a collaboration with our dualistic unity account so you can just follow us on instagram at dualistic unity or tiktok at dualistic unity or pinterest at dualistic unity we're pretty much everywhere as dualistic unity hell yeah all right um i'm pretty curious about this too from from your side what do you believe is your most controversial opinion Uh, we could we could do a different question too if you're not feeling this today <laughs> okay i might as well say it why the hell not uh, there's too many goddamn people on this fucking planet that's my most controversial opinion at the end of the day we are not talking about our population we're avoiding the conversation about our population we don't want to discuss it we don't want to look at it because we know what it means to look at it it means that we actually have to look our view of life in the face we have to look at our entire view of existence in the face and we have to start addressing why we're doing what we're doing because a lot of us are having children as accessories a lot of us are having children because we've been told it's the thing to do a lot of us are having children because everybody else is having children and then we're sticking them in school and we're not taking care of them we're not raising them we're not connecting with them we have no fucking relationship with them whatsoever and then we're unleashing them on the world for generations to come and wondering what the fuck is going to happen sorry i got a little worked up there the point is is that there are too many people on this planet and until we are willing to recognize that and stop having so many of them there is going to be increasing scarcity there's going to be increasing war. There's going to be increasing agitation and mental health problems because it's just like a room. There's a finite amount of space. You keep packing people in it. People are going to start to suffer. The quality of life will start to go down. 
right? And regardless of our attempts to fix that through technology, regardless of our attempts to fix that through control, we are still suffering and we're suffering because we're not in balance with the planet. We're suffering because by sheer lack of awareness, we keep popping out units, as George Carlin said, and filling the planet with more living beings that aren't focused on one another, that don't empathize with one another. And so, of course, they're killing each other. Of course, they're taking advantage of, of each other. Of course, they're being competitive. It's an environment that breeds the very worst in our mentality. And we can't address that while we're too busy clamoring against each other shoulder to fucking shoulder. It's a very difficult thing to solve. So. I would say that's probably my most controversial opinion. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's, it's fascinating how uh, we don't want to look the most obvious things in the face because they make us uncomfortable and we don't want to look beyond our immediate experience and wonder if something we're doing doesn't have an impact on all of reality. Like we, we shirk that. And even the idea of, you know, super rich people, like the 85% or 85 people own more or have more money than the bottom 3.5 billion people. Like we don't want to look at you know, starvation, homelessness, all of those things as being in any way connected with that hoarding of things and hoarding of wealth. And when I bring this up, <laughs> kind of like when Rail brings something like this up, people are like, oh, so communism, just take all their money away. It's like, no, mentality shift and talk about this openly so that people see the absurdity in deriving all of their value from having $10 billion. And thinking that that actually makes them more than if they were to only have a hundred million dollars and put that money somewhere else or opening up some, you know, homeless encampments for people to actually live and have a life and, and take care of myself as all of reality. But anyway, beyond, you know, the population discussion, I think up there for me that people really don't like hearing is that your belief in God reinforces all of your suffering. That, that idea, and it's because pretty much all of our psychological suffering exists inside of our mind. And so as we take our thoughts and beliefs and ideas about reality or you know the what-ifs to be the truth, it's going to be a lot more difficult to take all of those limiting beliefs about ourself, all of those concerns, all of those insecurities, all of those anxious thoughts, worried thoughts, all of those fears to be the truth. It's going to make it more difficult to not take them to be the truth as we take our belief in any other what if. What if there is a sky daddy? What if there are all of the, you know, all of Christianity is true? What if, what if all of this? And it's like, it's all inside of your mind. If you couldn't think, if you couldn't use your mind, there would be no God, conceptual idea of God to believe in. If you couldn't use your mind, if you couldn't think, like, all right, where's God? Well, I don't know, right here right now because that would be the extent of your reality you wouldn't be able to use your mind your imagination to come up with all of these what if type situations so your belief in, in the conceptual idea of god reinforces all the suffering that you're trying to avoid by 
holding on to the belief of God, thinking that that's actually solving anything when in fact it's reinforcing the mentality that creates all of your suffering, creates, you know, suicidal tendencies across all of society is the conceptual, is the the belief in your idea of yourself that's reinforced by your mind and your imagination and all of those ideas that you hold on to because that the idea of yourself is reinforced by ideas and concepts because that's all it is, is an idea, is a concept. It isn't here now. Your, your idea of it, sure, it exists sort of here now in your mind, but it's not the reality of what is here and now, which is the extent of you, which is the extent of God. So anytime you're holding on to that conceptual idea of God, it's going to reinforce all the things that are basically causing all of your psychological suffering. Nice. Absolutely. I have a bunch of other controversial takes, but we'll leave them out for now. Um, I did want to bring one up actually, because we were talking to our guest yesterday on episode five of season four, which will be released later on today. Um, and we were talking about gender roles and, 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 you know, breaking out of them very much, like just saying, I mean, fuck out other people's expectations. You, if you have to use them to some degree when, when you have to, but adapt to them, don't make them your own, you know, push past all that. There's this expression that's often used right now for this small portion of the male population that is incredibly egotistical. Incel? Do you know this expression, incel? Uh, I've heard it. I'm not super familiar with... Involuntarily celibate. That's what it means. Involuntarily celibate. So guys that can't get any, basically. And they're resentful about that because they feel they deserve to get some that they shouldn't be celibate because, you know, they have value and therefore a woman should love them or like them or at least give them sex. And it's so disempowering and it makes them obviously insecure and often very toxic because there's this entitlement, you know, just because I'm a man, I should be valued and so on and so forth. And, and that value should come through sex. And I think this opinion is something that dawned on me when I heard the expression, incel and 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 i saw the behavior of how toxic it can be there's a very simple way to fix this take out the involuntary just be celibate get over your insecurity get over your need to think that your value is defined by how much sex you have or how attractive you might be let go of the involuntary just be voluntarily celibate stop trying to prove yourself and what you'll find are people who actually appreciate you for who you are. But if you're always out there trying to get laid, trying to have sex, trying to prove yourself, every person you talk to is going to feel that coming. You're going to come across as a creep and a manipulator because you are. And so it's just really important to recognize that if you want to change your life so people don't consider you to be an incel, so you don't consider yourself to be an incel and you're not miserable thinking that sex somehow gives you more value, just voluntarily be celibate. Give it a try. See what happens. Because I promise at the very least, you will be able to enjoy your own company a little bit more because you won't feel like you're lacking so much. I want to throw that one in there quickly. Yeah, it makes me wonder too, because stress has such a high impact on our life in so many different facets. And someone who is involuntarily celibate, you know, can't do whatever it is holding on to the fear and the resistance to that type of situation will inevitably create a lot more stress in your life. So as you let go of the desire to not be celibate, 
which is inevitably going to create a lot more stress. You're not going to experience as much stress in your life, and you may actually be able to improve whatever is causing that to be the case. And and even people who are you know diagnosed with a specific thing, that idea of yourself is reinforcing that thing, that situation that that you're dealing with, that you're so insecure about. As you let go of the insecurity, which isn't necessary, like we think, oh, I'm going through this thing and therefore I have to be insecure because it shouldn't be happening and I wish it wasn't happening. And what does this mean about me? Blah, blah, blah. Anything you're going through, you know, you have, you lose an eye or something. You don't have to be insecure about that. It just is what it is. You're defined as an incel by whoever or whatever. It doesn't have to be an insecurity. Insecurities exist within you because of your resistance to the situation at hand, which creates more stress, which probably reinforces whatever thing you're going through. If it's uh, related to a mental thing that you're going through, which a lot of things are, obviously there's the physical, you know, whatever, but it's, we, our insecurities exist within our mind. They are created by us based on our resistance to reality, based on our resistance to the way things are thinking they should be at all different than they are. And that goes for so many different situations. So as you let go of that resistance, as you accept things for what they are, a lot of the insecurities may actually improve because you're feeling less stress in your life, because you're you know, relaxed now, because you're no longer resisting reality. Yeah. And you're doing it for you, which changes things, right? Like that's the thing is that it, you're not dressing up for what other people think of you. You're dressing up for you right? Which means you'll probably take more care and concern because it's for you rather than your idea of somebody else. And as long as you're dependent on somebody else giving you value, you're going, you're going to become more and more resentful of those who don't because it becomes from, it comes from need. It comes from desperate, from desperation. You're actually digging, digging a hole that's going to make it harder on you in the long run. So it, it helps to remember that. Uh, we did have a question. Did you answer the question from Instagram about the impact of social media and the digital world on our reality. We didn't get to that question. And unfortunately, it's because we have run out of time. We are just wrapping up this episode of Dualistic Unity Raw. Um, however, we will probably talk about it on Patreon directly after this. If you'd like to join us, patreon.com slash dualistic unity. We have groups five days a week where we have this conversation and you can be on the screen with us. You, you can ask us your questions or share your stories with us directly. It's probably the best part of dualistic unity, in my opinion. So if you can join us there, we would love to see you. Other than that, we will be back on Sunday for another episode of dualistic unity raw. Awesome. All right. Bye everyone.